It was all on a cocktail napkin, one drunk talking to another. You know, it wasn't this fixed uh, system, what steps, these steps, and what order, this order. That came later. But even when it came, it was designed as, uh, again, a, a description uh, to the best of their ability of what we did, not a prescription of how you have to be if you want to call yourself AA. Any AA group can take what they like, they can follow it or they can dismiss it entirely or any imaginative uh, choices in between. Listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome back. I am glad you are here. Um, but I gotta tell you, I'm not really that happy today. I mean, I'm happy about some things. I'm happy about some people. But... I just got off the phone with my dad right before I, I, I started this, you know, recording this thing. And he was just so down. Um, and I think, you know, he said, like, it's really hard to be an old man at this moment in American history. And I think what he's saying is like, I don't know if I will outlive this negativity. You know, and the country wasn't always this polarized and this toxic the environment wasn't always this toxic. And he's just like, this is just, he's, I think he's worried that he's going to end on this note. And I think he's got more years in him than he thinks. But I also, I feel his pain. I feel my own pain. And I guess, you know, so I, it's funny. I had a friend the other day say, like, I can't listen to your podcast anymore. It's too relentlessly upbeat. And his buddy of mine, he's, he's suffering. He's, he has what may be a terminal illness. And he's just like, listen. I, you know, it's not that I disagree with what you're saying, but he said, like, it's just too jolly for me. You know, I, don't get me wrong. Like, that's part of who I am. Like, it's authentic. Like, my positivity is authentic, but it's not, that's not all there is. Like, I live in the real world. I feel the pain and of this moment. Um, and I guess I just feel like I need to acknowledge that, that like many of us, I am sad. I, I, you know, it would, be, it would be disingenuous for me to say I'm disappointed. I think whether you whether you like Donald Trump and what he's doing, or you don't, or or whether you're like me and you like like some of what he's doing, like some of what he's doing makes sense to me. Like this standing up to China thing, like I get it. Like if you just let things go the way they've been going, it might not be good. And you know. There are ways in which I think, you know, his economic policies are probably having some good impacts. I mean, I'm with Obama in terms of thinking that the recovery started a long time before Donald Trump took the helm. But so I think the people that are pleased with Donald Trump are like, yep, he's doing exactly what I expected. And the people that are horrified are going like, yep, he's doing exactly what I expected. I mean, I'm not surprised. I'm just, it's, I, I guess, so, so I guess I'm not surprised. I'm not disappointed. I'm just sad that this is the space we're in and this is the way people talk to each other and about each other in public. I mean, it's almost like, you know how like when you're driving and somebody cuts you off and, or you cut somebody off and they, they're like, fuck you and they flip their finger off and they scream and they make faces at you and you think like, if I bumped into that guy getting into an elevator, he would just say, you know, he would just go like, excuse me, or, you know, he would just be, he would just give me a dirty look, but he wouldn't go like, fuck you, I hate you, you asshole, I hope you die. Like, there's something about being in the car. And what's weird to me about the public discourse right now is that, that it used to be one way, and now I feel like people are doing their car behavior face to face. And it's discouraging. Um, And... I want to believe it'll get better. I want to believe it'll get better while my dad's still alive. Because it, it just it just discourages him so much. And it discourages so many of us so much. And I think that's why I'm so, like I said to him, I said, that's why I think what we do, like sometimes when we publicly discourse across our differences in faith, 
And I said, like, it's just a little, like, tidbit of this other way in which people can disagree in a way that that doesn't require them to throw each other under the bus. So, I mean, like, I hope, you know, I hope that these, you know, this, that's why I'm so fanatical about secular folks, especially secular spiritual folks, people that are pursuing kind of life's ultimate questions in a secular way, that we learn to talk about and with our religious friends and family members in a way that is both, you know, firm but kind and thoughtful and respectful and cognizant of the fact that people on the other side of these issues didn't get there by accident. They were born into it. They were exposed to stuff that pushed them there. Like none of us have as much say in what we think or believe or feel as we'd like to say. And, you know, especially a bunch of us seculars who are determinists in many ways. Some of us don't even believe in free will. And yet we're so angry at people who think differently. So yeah, I think it's important that we cultivate this civility thing. And 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 that's that's part of what this whole thing is about. But having said all of that, um yeah, I just feel like once in a while even a relentlessly upbeat person like me needs to acknowledge to everybody else that I'm not I'm not unaware of how hard it is around some people's dinner tables or in some people's marriages or in some people's Thanksgiving gatherings or at work or wherever you happen to be where you're you're trying to deal with this stuff all right enough of my commiseration it's time for me to be relentlessly upbeat again no i'm not i'm kidding but like i am actually a little bit upbeat on on two levels number one is i got a note from john my, my buddy who you guys all know and he and he told me that we have a new patreon supporter um who i recognized it was it was Phil Milton and Kelly, and 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 the thing about Phil Milton is, is that he's an inner city. I know this guy; he's a friend of mine, and he's an inner city school teacher in a really rough school. And like he works his ass off for the kids, and and frankly for the twenty bucks that he's now pledged to to to, to humanize me every month. And I gotta tell you, like. Having somebody who's living a noble life and loving people in a, in just such a visceral way as he is, and I, like I've I've talked to him. I mean, he tells me stories about the classroom. I know what's going on in his world, and to have him behind this podcast, eh, I mean, it's sort of like with friends like that, who needs angels? Um, that's a little play on with friends like that who needs enemies. So yeah, Phil and Kelly, if you're out there. Yes, it, I, I noticed. And yes, it made a huge difference. And it, it always does. Whether it's a buck a month or whatever, it always makes a huge difference for me to know that uh, in our audience, there is a growing number of people who are like, ah, I'm, not just a, I'm not just a listener. I'm part of the team. So there. And if you want to know all about that stuff, you know, you can find it on Patreon. You can go to bartcampola.org, which is where all things about this podcast are, all things about me the chaplaincy at University of Cincinnati. It's all there. You can find it anything you want to know and stuff you don't want to know. So today, today, I'm going to share with you like a mishmash of two or three different conversations I had with my guest, Joe C. And you might say, could you give us Joe's last name? And as the interview progresses, you will see why I can't. Because this is the podcast I've been wanting to do for a long time where I talk to a secular person who is deep in the world of AA about my deep misgivings about AA and the whole recovery movement and the 12 steps and the kind of like overt sort of, it feels to me, supernaturalist stuff that is there. And and I want to tell you, Joe and his ilk of sort of secular AA people, I don't know. They really, you know, I mean, if you want to talk about some hope, they, Joe gave me some hope. And like, don't get me wrong. I'm not like, AA is the greatest thing for everybody and it always works. Like I read that Atlantic article a few years ago. I have deep sort of sense that AA is not the silver, magic bullet 
It may not even be the best bullet we've got these days when it comes to addiction. I'm, I'm reading Michael Pollan's book. Maybe it's psychedelics. Actually, Bill W. used psychedelics and he was pretty high on psychedelics. I, I mean, he was pretty positive about psychedelics as a tool for overcoming addiction. But be that as it may, we all know somebody who's struggling with an addiction and almost all of us know somebody for whom AA made a huge difference. Um, so this is a conversation I have with Joe about like my, my problems and my frustrations and the frustrations that a lot of people share with me about AA's place in our culture. And I, 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 I think you'll like the conversation. I know you're going to like Joe C. Because honestly, he is as real as it gets in terms of like a guy who is just out there for other people because he thinks it's the best way of life. So, all right, this is me and Joe C. I'll see you on the other side. The, th- the reason I'm so amped to talk with you is because throughout the last few years, I just keep encountering people that have kind of one foot in the AA world and one foot in sort of the secular way of thinking worldview world. And they're confused because they love, they, they feel like AA works for them or for a lot of their friends. Right. But it feels like it's really steeped or almost like grounded in supernaturalism. Mm-hmm. And it it seems like you and like what seems like a very growing group of people. Right. Are sort of going like, no, no, no. AA is something else. It's AA isn't supernatural in its essence. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been uh, sober in AA for over 40 years. So I've seen AA change. And the other thing is AA is very regional. If you're in a college town, you're going to have a very more, a more liberal AA experience than if you're in a, a blue collar Bible belt, you know, part of the world, right? Because AA is only you can only make an AA meeting up of the people who are live in that community, right? Uh, so uh, if anyone's been to two or three AA meetings, they've got a very limited sense of what AA as a whole is because, you know, they, they've formed their opinion on just uh, one or two meetings. So yes, uh, to your question, uh, did AA start in sort of a supernatural dialogue? It did did, uh, I would say that AA, and I think this is important, is descriptive, not prescriptive. There is a book and there is AA literature and some people treat it as dogma and that works for them. I don't say dogma in a derogatory way. Uh, For some people, uh, they want order in place of chaos and they want directions, and they want authority, and that works for them. But the intention of the original AA literature was just to describe the transformative process from an addiction you seem to have no control over, all of these addicts following their feet, uh, to living in recovery without even thinking about drinking or whatever your drug of choice is. And uh, so let's let's try to codify this. Let's try to describe it. And they they certainly did describe it in a supernatural way as liberally as they could in the mid 1930s. They used the term God as we understand Him. Now Him is a problem <laughs> for even religious people, right? If you're a Sikh or if you are Muslim, there is no gender. Uh, and uh, the word God, of course, is very limiting too. But they understood when AA started, there were atheists amongst them, and they wanted them to feel included too. So some people started using acronyms like group of drunks, good orderly direction, gift of desperation. Uh, you know, the, it, it goes on. But you don't even have to talk in that God acronym language to be a card-carrying member of AA. You don't actually get a card, but I'm just borrowing the expression. <laughs> so so AA is uh, two alcoholics talking to each other about what their problem is in their own first-person 
uh, story and being heard, listening. Uh, so that's what AA is. And uh, anyone who has a, oh, it's, it's secular, it's not spiritual, or, oh, it's spiritual, it's not secular, or it's secular spiritual, that's their own experience of it. But it is what any group of AAs gathered together decide it's going to be. They can set their own format. They can choose their own readings uh, or no readings at all. Um, AA is kind of uh, a lawless society in that way. Yeah, it's it's funny. A friend of mine um, sent me this quote from, gosh, I, I think it was from the, the, the founder of AA, mm-hmm. uh, Bill Wilson. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it was from 1946, and it said, so long as there is the slightest interest in sobriety, the most unmoral, the most antisocial, the most critical alcoholic may gather around him a few kindred spirits and announce to us that a new Alcoholics Anonymous group has been formed. Anti-God, anti-medicine, anti-all our recovery program, anti-even each other. These rampant individuals are still an AA group if they think so. That's exactly right. And so there have always been AA groups that disregard the 12 steps completely. Uh, Some of them transform the 12 steps into a humanist or secular language. What? That that was the weird thing. I went to that AA Beyond Belief webpage Mm -hmm. and they had this section of like alternate 12 steps. Yeah. And and like, it, it wasn't like there was one, there were like 50. That's because they happen on a grassroots level. They aren't sort of ivory tower uh, versions of the steps. When AA started, before it was codified into these 12 steps, uh, it was just alcoholics trying to help other alcoholics. And some of them developed a sort of a six-step process, but the steps they used in Akron were different than the steps they used in New York. And even amongst the New Yorkers, some would have a a different, you know, they'd have five or seven or have them in a different order. So, so there wasn't a, it was all on a cocktail napkin, one drunk talking to another. And, you know, it wasn't this fixed uh, system, what steps, these steps, in what order, this order, that came later. But even when it came, it was designed as, uh, again, a, a description uh, to the best of their ability of what we did, not a prescription of how you have to be if you want to call yourself AA. Now, not all of AA agrees with that. Some people say one of two things that can be quite dismissive. One, well, if you don't want the God stuff, why do you even want to be an AA? Go start your own fellowship. And to that, I would say, uh, thanks for the invitation. But, um, you know, I'm perfectly comfortable right here. Uh, uh, or, you know, they would say that, you know, you, you you can't call yourself AA because it's, you know, these steps are protected by copyright. Well, that just isn't true. The book is copywritten, but uh, it is uh, held in trust by AA trustees on behalf of the members. So while the General Service Conference can't go and change the steps without the permission of 75% of AA members, any AA group can take what they like, just like what you've read. They can follow it as holy writ, or they can dismiss it entirely, or any imaginative uh, choices in between. And you so found- in some sense, I was just going to say, in some sense, AA becomes almost like Kleenex where it, it, it doesn't, it, there are many brands of Kleenex these days. You know, Kleenex is just the term for, a, you know, an AA is such a term for a bunch of, a, a bunch of alcoholics getting together in some place. And each group has a level of autonomy that means that if there's a way to do this in a secular way, a bunch of secular people can figure that out. And it sounds like that's, that's the group you, that's the gang you hang around with. You hang around with a bunch of, a bunch of non-believers. That is very who- true. And, and it's also true that AA is very tribal. And, and there's a big difference between founders and followers. And so the person who created this structure created it in a way that the general service office couldn't dictate to the groups 
who would be a group and who wouldn't be, how they had to conduct their meetings. They gave complete freedom. But followers like structure. They like uh, authority. And, uh, you know, there are many in AA who says, well, you know, they range from they can have their secular meetings if they want, but I don't think that's real AA. And 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 you'll have secularists say the steps aren't even real AA. That you know people were getting sober in AA before they had any steps. Just alcoholics helping alcoholics is what AA is. One day at a time is what AA is. All that other stuff is just well, woo woo. And you see that tendency towards kind of dogmatic fundamentalism among any like like somebody gets they they lose a bunch of weight using a particular diet oh, yeah. and they're like mm-hmm. they're like no 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 you you have to drink the purple Kool-Aid you can't drink the red Kool-Aid the, yeah. and and what they're really saying is is I was drinking purple Kool-Aid when I got better yeah but but it comes out as everybody has to drink the purple Kool-Aid because they, they, it's hard to separate for people which part of a of a way of life or a practice works for them? So they just go like, "I was wearing Nikes that day. You got to wear Nikes. Like whatever was going on when I got better, that's what works." Yeah, it is uh, um, something that uh, uh, Michael Shermer calls uh, uh, patternicity. We we have a tendency to see patterns uh, and uh, assign causality to correlation. I did this and then this happened. So A caused B, which might be true, but it might not be true. But I guess the the word that I have found a lot of my friends trip over is the word surrender. Mm -hmm. Um, That there's this idea that at the beginning of the process of getting sober, these drunks look at each other and go like, listen, I'm powerless. And of course, if, if you come from a very religious background, if you're a post-Christian person, mm-hmm. you, you maybe got weirded out or messed over by the idea that you're powerless, that you're, you know, hopeless, that you are, you know, incapable of goodness without the Holy Spirit. And so this idea of admitting you're powerless, it sticks in some people's craw. And I just wonder, like, does it stick in yours? I I am not married to that word. I, I I'm not triggered by it. I I don't find it offensive, but I'm not attached to it. Uh, it could easily be argued that it's part of a. Uh, I I don't want to say a sales process, but but if you're peddling, you know, some sort of divine intervention as a solution to a medical problem. Uh, then you have to, in order to uh, sell a, a photocopier, you have to sell someone on the idea that they need to copy everything, right? <laughs> so, right? So before you can sell the power, you need to sell the powerlessness. And, um, and I understand what they're saying when they say that. Like, I understand how addiction uh, oh, is completely yeah. overwhelming. Uh, and in a way, I am uh, not only am I um, if I return to drinking, I fully expect that maybe not the first week, but there would come a time where, you know, I would, uh, yeah. you know, just behave badly and, you know, I'd be in a crack house or something. Oh, my gosh. Like I, like something is flashing across my, my brain right now. I'm going like, I feel like if, if instead of selling it by like. By saying you are powerless, mm-hmm. if we sold it by saying fellowship is powerful, yeah, like- I- exactly. Let's just let's just talk about. I'm going to borrow something from a great friend of mine, a guy by the name of Reverend Ward Ewing. He said, "Experience trumps explanation," and what that means to me is. When I share my experience of here's what happened, and then this happened, and now I live this way, we're, we're not going to fight over that, right? That's my experience. You're going to say, okay, yeah, I, I buy that. But if I say, here's what happened. I was addicted to alcohol, and then God entered my life, and through the grace of God, I'm sober today. You go, well, 
uh, that, you know, now I'm explaining it. I'm not telling you my experience of I went to some meetings and I got some new friends and I had positive powers of example instead of negative ones. Sure, sure. I'm explaining it. So if I explain it as, uh, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy or if I explain it as divine intervention, um, you know, uh, that might break our connection because you don't accept that explanation, but you can't argue with my experience. I'm sober today and I was a hopeless alcoholic before. That's that's a that's a, a fact. Right. And so and so in a sense, if I say, listen, this experience of being in a room with a bunch of other alcoholics is powerful. Yes. Like it, it yeah. It 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 I, I wasn't doing well and, and I got in this room and I'm doing way better. In a sense, like to somebody who sort of has a worldview or a way of thinking or is triggered by religious language, the idea of you're powerless, you know, they go like, well, that isn't exactly my experience. Like I'm able to do some things and like I'm not completely helpless as a human being, you know, but to say like, there's this source of power. There's this accessible thing that will make it a thousand times easier for you to do this thing that maybe on a great day you could have done anyway by yourself. Maybe you had that much power, maybe. But to just say like, this is hugely powerful. Don't you want to access it? It feels to me like that sort of eliminates that problem, that that triggering mechanism of of a person having to admit that they are powerless because I think for a lot of people, that's a really, it, it, it's almost, it's almost like they have a, an aversion. They know that they, they aren't strong enough, but they don't want to say that they got nothing. Well, that's right. And, and to go back to your going to the AA uh, beyondbelief.org site and finding all of these versions of the 12 steps, I would say anyone who's going to engage in this process, everybody should write their own steps as they're going along in their own language, their own authentic language. And for some people, like, remember early AAs, although Because again, were, this is descriptive. Yes, like, write your exactly, steps because they're descriptive. Exactly. So describe it in your language. So if if you don't believe in a supernatural power, you might still believe in the power of example or a higher purpose or any number of other motivations that can help uh, maintain a better life and, and not a provisional life. It's not like I live a life of sobriety, poor me. Uh, you know, I, you know, I, I, there isn't anything in life that's so bad that I don't want a clear head for it. And there isn't anything so great that, oh, a little bit of this or a little bit of that would just make it better, right? Awesome is awesome enough. And so, you know, I, 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 it's hard for a newcomer to understand, a newcomer to recovery, that, uh, you know, I don't feel like I'm handicapped in any way, shape, or form living a sober life any more than a, a vegetarian would miss hamburgers uh, or steak, right? They, they just, you know, feeling... See, I've been a vegetarian for periods of my life and I did miss <laughs> hamburgers and steak. <laughs> well, it, it's not like uh, people... But it's still, but, it, but, 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 you know, I, like, and, and I, and, and, and honestly, as a sober dude, yeah. like there are experiences in my life where a glass of wine does make it better. Well, um, that you have the luxury of it's, being that's, able that's all to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the other thing to understand is the original members of Alcoholics Anonymous, even though they were uh, down and outers, they, they were really the privileged, what we call now the privileged uh, people in society. They were white, heterosexual, middle-class men. And so this idea of you know, ego deflation at depth and, you know, all of these other sort of constructs or ideas about recovery, you know, it makes more sense for them than a marginalized society where empowerment might be a better approach to dealing with addiction than, than powerlessness. Wow, I hadn't like, thought of that, but that's exactly right. Yeah. Like it's, it, you know, that, because what's funny is like, I, I, it doesn't, for me to be vulnerable 
and mm-hmm. to admit that like I'm weak in certain areas. It's not really hard for me because like in so many areas I feel strong and empowered and, you know, and, and like I have stuff. Um, but, but I'm not, I'm not everybody. And yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that, I mean, so I love that idea of, listen, it's only descriptive anyway, so doggone it, write it out in your own, in a way that actually describes your experience. Exactly. Like, I'm a natural writer, and, and uh, I think that way, and I'm comfortable with that. And But I, I really, you're way better off. Authenticity is way more important than conformity for a rich, fulfilling life. And, and even for getting sober, it, it plays a role. Yes, we come from a life of total chaos. Those of us who are alcoholics and like our finances were out of whack, our uh, social and sexual relationships were out of whack, our health was out of whack, it, like everything was redlining. Uh, and having some sort of order and structure in our life is a great way to sort of make that transition. But at some point, you got to sort of make it your own. And AA invites you to do that. Now, now Joe, I got a couple of, of, of thoughts here. One is you guys curate lots of stuff. Like, you, I mean, podcasts and yeah. books mm-hmm. and stuff. And the idea is basically you're saying there's a lot of us out there mm-hmm. that kind of want our AA straight without any uh, religious chaser. And, yeah. uh, and and that's a great thing about AA. You can have your back to basics meetings that are getting people sober and they have this, the original hundred members, they did it exactly this way and I'm going to take you through this process. And some people want that and some people respond positively to it and they should keep doing that. And then you have uh, the atheist agnostic model, and, and it varies widely from people who completely reject the 12 steps to people who modify them, and, and that works well. Nobody gets everybody sober, and, if, uh, and, and then there's other sort of fellowships. There was um, uh, SOS, which started in the 80s, which was an AA member who started sort of a secular organization for sobriety. And there's smart recovery and there's refuge recovery if you prefer sort of a Buddhist mindset to a Judeo-Christian mindset. Uh, and these all work and none of them have found a way to get everyone who walks into their midst sober and stay sober. Yeah. So. <laughs> What, if they find that, we'll we'll do that. <laughs> right, right. Whatever works. Yeah. Now, I read. I, speaking of which, I read this article in the Atlantic Monthly a few years ago. Mm-hmm. You probably mm-hmm. know the one I'm talking about. With, and they ripped AA like crazy. They were like, oh, yeah. AA won't let anyone study its results. And it actually, you know, people relapse like crazy. No, you know, it's not... It's not the most effective. They And they were really pissed off in particular. And I get pissed mm-hmm. off in particular that judges and people like they just drive people into AA, mm-hmm. you know, as, as if like that's the only thing. That's the only that's the only route. And, and but but these the, the Atlantic writers were saying, hey, we think it doesn't hold up. We, we don't know that it helps as many people as it claims it helps. How do you. How do you feel when people sort of say, like, it's all overrated? Uh, I find that the uh, critics and the zealots hold the same misconceptions about AA. Uh, like, AA isn't a book and it isn't 12 steps. And like, like it, it, it is, as we've discussed, whatever you want to make it, right? But it, as soon as you say, you know, I, I'm sending you to AA, you, you know, what, what does that mean? Right. Depends on which one I send you to, doesn't it? Exactly. You know, so what their experience of AA is going to be limited to the number of groups they go to. Yeah. It's sort of like saying diet and exercise will, will help you get, (laughs) get, um, healthy. Yeah. And you go like, yeah, all right. But like which diet, what kind of exercise you're going to do it once a week. You're going to do one push up and then eat like Captain Crunch because like, that's diet and exercise. Mm-hmm. It ain't going to help. And so, you know, it really, and, 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 and you're, I'm realizing that I have thought of AA as a monolith where yes. I'm like, these yes. are the 12 steps. Yes. This is how it works. 
And, uh, and you're saying, dude, all we're saying is that when a bunch of people get together, there's hope, there's yeah, a possibility. Exactly right. And, and while AA doesn't conduct any of its own research, it is an anti-science or anti-academia. Many AA members participate in research studies. That's a personal choice. Uh, you know, I don't know who does them, but it's really who's going to pay for it, right? It seems the pharmaceutical companies are the only people left doing research. And, and why would they study <laughs> a non-medically assisted uh, treatment modality? Well, I mean, what's funny was in that Atlantic article, they were talking about uh, over in Europe, there are some medical models yeah. that mm -hmm. people are using. And yeah. they were saying some of these are pretty promising. And, yeah, you know, they are. I think people need to be, uh, the term is sort of culturally humble. Uh, like I'm a, I'm a pretty straight edge, right? Like I, I don't even take pain medication. I just stretch it out, right? But I, I know plenty of people who are on, you know, mood disorder medicine. I know people who are, you know, go to meetings and they're on methadone and they kind of keep that part of things a secret, but that's between them and their doctor. And I wouldn't argue with that. You know, many paths, uh, you know, to uh, sort of Shangri-La or wherever it is. We're whatever going. works, yeah. whatever works. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, so I got a bunch of people who listen to this podcast and the vast majority of them are probably not alcoholics. Right. Yeah. Um, but, but everybody all... knows an alcoholic. He, he, <laughs> uh, I, I do uh, some work for a called uh, public information, sort of going out and sort of not selling AA, but explaining, you know, not only our pay place in the general community, but our place in the sort of recovery construct. And, and I say that you shake any family tree, one or two alcoholics fall out of it. And I've never known a family that didn't have alcoholics in it. I wasn't the first alcoholic member of my family. So, yeah, I, I mean, I would think that, that everybody listening knows someone whose life has been impacted because of their alcoholism or someone right. they love's alcoholism so, so here's or my question. addiction. Fire away. So here's my question. Okay. So you spent more time around this sort of... AA and it's particularly AA on the other side of faith mm -hmm. gang. You, you know, lots of people, you, what's, what's the one thing that you want me to do or that you want me to know, or that you want me to like, like you, you there's this huge problem. There are mm -hmm. all these people in our, each of our families that have this. Yeah. And like, what do you want me to do? Uh, you know, people need to be heard. They don't need to be told. And the, the problem with addiction is it isolates the addict. I start lying to myself about how much I'm drinking. I start lying to loved ones about how much I'm drinking. I start doing illicit drugs that certain people I know, I don't want them knowing about that. And so I, I'm, you know, it's, uh, it's called living in denial, right? But, but it happens. I, I lie. I minimize, I deny. It becomes sort of a protective coating around my addiction. And uh, I'm affected by it, and you're going to be affected by it. So how do you help someone who doesn't want help? How do you get through to someone who's in that state? Um, well, y you can't, but every once in a while, there's a crack in the armor, right, where, uh, you know, Jesus, I, I, you know, what am I doing with my life? And, and there they just need to sort of get it all out, right? You know, just tell me your story and, and listen to it. And, and I find I work with So what you're saying that when the crack opens, yeah. my tendency is to then, Joe, okay, now you're, now you're open. This is what you need to do. Yeah, and you're saying yeah. that when the crack opens, what I need to do is say, tell me more about what's inside there. Tell me yeah. what's going on. Exactly. And then, you know, what is required is not this admission of powerlessness, but certainly some open-mindedness. What you're doing has some flaws in it. So let's consider that maybe you got to find another coping mechanism. So why don't you try a few things? What, what might you try? 
uh, oh, uh, you know, I, I don't want to go to AA because it's religious. Well, why don't you go to some secular AA meetings? Or I don't want to go to AA because, you know, it's old-fashioned. Okay, why don't you go to Smart Recovery? Or why don't you go to a treatment center? Or why don't you go to one-on-one -on -one counseling? Like, I, I don't care how other people get sober. I'm interested in their salvation, not marketing mine. Because, you know, I don't get paid for this. <laughs> and, and you don't either. You just want to help someone, right? And, and that's and when, when someone is so isolated and addicts are so isolated, they need connection. And, and, and nothing makes us more comfortable than telling our own story and, and, and allowing someone to do that. And help, you know that as a counselor. So, so, yeah, so, so you're saying when the crack opens, yeah. instead of running in with your solution, yeah. you're saying sort of try to keep, try to pull them out more and say, tell me more. Yeah. Tell me more. I see a little what's inside. Tell me more. How does that feel? What's going on? You know, what do you think? What, what, you know, what, what do you, what, what conclusions are you coming to about your addiction rather than telling them what you know? Yeah. Yeah. There's a, a technical term called uh, motivational interviewing, which is, again, you know, coming from an unbiased, non-judgmental place, just, you know, sort of interviewing a person. What's going on? How's right. that working for you? You know, that kind of thing, right? It's not trying to lead them anywhere. It's just trying to, you know, help them shine and own their own light on their circumstances yeah. and reevaluate. What if you're in Lower Scratch Ankle Bible Belt, USA, and there is no secular AA group within shouting distance of your house? Is there any, do you guys have any virtual yes. meetings? Do you have any Skype on, meetings? Online, if you go to aabeyondbelief.org, there's a number of different Facebook and Google communities. And, and can I ever be in one where like, I'm literally talking on the phone with five other people? Uh, yeah, there's all kinds of different things. There's a, um, uh, the internet has really changed the game in a, in a lot of ways. Um, the, I mean, I know it's not the same, but I, I just know it, there are people that are isolated and yeah, just, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Sometimes second best is good enough, right? <laughs> you, you just need, uh, to get connected with other people. And, and I found that because I have my secular AA, I don't resent our more religious members and their more religious uh, view of AA because I know I've got my tribe, right? You know, yeah. they, they can talk it makes about- it, So it makes it easier for you to be in that meeting if you have to be because it, you know it's not your only, your only it, choice. Exactly. So you can find an online community. Uh, you can go to- secularaa.org and it has a meeting list maybe there is an agnostic atheist meeting closer to you than you think and they have their own online meeting and they have a list of other sort of online meetings if you're a member of facebook there are secret groups and this is a facebook term not an aa term but secret groups mean you've got to ask to join but when you do any anything any thread you're uh, in a conversation of that doesn't go on your main page. No one would ever be able to find that if they were interviewing you for a job that you know you're an AA member. Uh, so so secret groups offer a certain amount of discretion or anonymity, and so there's a way of getting a hold of people one way or another. This yours is a good story, and I you know and I, I think for me what the other the thing is particularly kind of helpful or inspiring about it is the idea of, you know, just that you, you got sober at 16 and, you know, you sort of, in some sense, I don't want to say you dodged the bullet because it sounds like you had some really hairy experiences, but like, you know, most of your life has been on the other side of your addiction, you know, your, yes. your active addiction. Yeah. And yet you're still out there which is very much the same way I feel about loving relationships and community building. Um, and that is like, yeah, like I'm fine. Like it's been a long time since I discovered this truth, but like, it's a beautiful thing to offer. To, like, I just like make, you know, I like throwing these parties for people. <laughs> and it sounds like you're, you're, you're one of these people who's like, and you know, and, and my old, my old joke is like, everybody needs a, everybody, everybody wants to go to a good party, but not everybody knows how to throw one. Yeah. And, uh, 
I'm excited that I'm excited that you and a bunch of these people are th- are, are throwing them. I'm going to throw all that all those links and everything mm-hmm. onto the page for this for this episode. Yeah. So that people that are interested, they'll know where to find you. They'll know where to find um, AA Beyond Belief. They'll know where to find all that stuff that you sent me. Yeah, there's some um, great communities, uh, some great places to do research or, you know, ask questions or, you know, find books on the subject. There's a lot of good stuff out there. Yeah. What's weird is I, I, I've also started, and we won't go there, but like I've started to see people that are talking about the use of psychedelic drugs yeah. In overcoming addiction. Yeah, that's that's a, a fad. I've been around. I, I've been sober since disco. Uh, it it didn't last, but I did. <laughs> uh, and you're and, not buying it on this one either. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, no, I say many paths to recovery, right? Yeah. Some people's recovery is going to involve a constant daily need for Suboxone uh, or some other uh, medically assisted treatment. And I'm not against that. Uh, I don't want that for myself, but if, if that's what someone needs, that's great. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Bill Wilson, the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous was one of the early experimenters with LSD in a clinical laboratory setting, uh, because it was thought that this could help, uh, find a, a yeah. breakthrough for mood disorders and addictions and, you know, maybe find the secrets of the universe. You know, there was a lot of hope in the 60s, 70s that we'd all have jetpacks and be traveling to Jupiter by now. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the interesting thing is like, you're right. Like the neuroscience is really interesting. There's a lot of stuff. I, I've got a, a, a former USC student who's at school. And one of the things he's really studying is how we you know, it, it are all different modalities to overcome trauma, mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and to overcome addiction. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, like, I, I know like, we're not like, I, I'm not one of these people who thinks like we're almost on the other side of all of life's troubles. It's going to be yeah. smooth sailing from here on out. Like I was part of, I was part of a crazy religion that taught that before I'm not buying and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not adopting science in that same kind of Pollyanna way. Yeah. But these are there is a lot of there's a lot to be encouraged about when it comes to um, finding new ways, both in terms of behavioral stuff and and in other ways to try to to try to kind of help ourselves overcome um, some of this some some of these vulnerabilities we got. Well, you but, must see this all the time. You counsel people, right? You do like life yeah. coaching work. I mean, you must come all the time come across people who either have a loved one with addiction that is affecting their life or their own personal addiction to anything from food to spending to, you know, like some people are addicted to spending, right? They think they can buy their way to happiness. And, uh, and, and that does have a dopamine effect, right? Just right. like and that's, sex Yeah, or, that's back to that brain side stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So yeah. you know what I'm addicted to? <laughs> Tell me. I'm addicted to long talking conversations and <laughs> and I'm aware that that I, I shouldn't I, I should I should I should have a moment of, of self-control right here because okay. um I wanted your story and I got your story and it really meshes together nicely with the stuff you were explaining to me and we were talking about last time. But it was great talking to you. Thank you. Time very well spent, Bart. I really appreciate your interest. And uh, I'm uh, flattered uh, by the attention. And uh, and if anyone has questions, I'm very accessible. Right on, right on. All right, I'll catch you on the other side. You bet. Thanks for the time. All right, so that was it. That was me and Joe C. Talking about AA. Lot of lot of letters here. I hope it's okay. Um, yeah, I'm, I can't think of any more. Um, but what I can tell you is, is that today, I, I, you listen to me because I'm, I'm, I'm going away from the mic for a second. Now I'm over here and I'm over here grabbing volume one of the works of Robert G. Ingersoll because my buddy Andrew gave me the, the, the complete works of Robert Ingersoll. He found a copy and bought it for me because he knew I would love it so much. 
And so I'm just, I like, I just randomly am opening it up, volume one. It's a beautiful old, old copy. And, uh, and the first line is this, there is no slavery, but ignorance. Liberty is the child of intelligence. Come on, man. That's just, that's just a random quote. Robert G, there's a reason I love you. There's a reason I love you. It goes on. The history of man is simply the history of slavery, of injustice and brutality, together with the means by which he has, though the dead and de- through the dead and desolate years, slowly and painfully advanced. Oh, man. Oh, man. If I could write like that, I wouldn't be podcasting. <laughs> All right, I don't know what that means. But what I do know is you should go to barcampola.org, send me an email, and tell me how irritating I am. That's what everybody does. And, uh, and in the meantime, I'll see you, and I'll be back to irritate you more next week. Um, I love I love doing these, this stuff. I love these conversations, and I love all the interaction that, that happens around Humanize Me on the Facebook page. I love the fact that we're, that we're doing this thing together. So I'll, I'll see you next time, and I will be relentlessly upbeat. Damn it, you can't stop me. For more on BART, go to bartcampolo.org. To leave a question in your own voice to be used in future shows, call the Humanize Me Q line at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. Humanize Me is a production of Jax Media. You could be larger than life.